Leslie on this Feelman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I fly out here from Columbus, Ohio to Salt Lake City to wait for your sorry ass and you're 15 minutes late? Who do you think you are? You have no respect for anything or anybody. The dinner lasted another half hour because our food came shortly. I ate. I got up and left. Tom never closed the deal. Oh, that's what I wanted to know. And he came and he said, look, I I learned one thing tonight. <laughs> What's that, Tom? And I, and I apologize for my behavior, which I did a lot when I was younger. I learned that I'm never going to ask you to help recruit again. Yeah, he's a uh, NFL analyst. He's a uh, broadcaster, podcaster, yeah. all-around good guy. Not a runner for agents, Mr. Chris Spielman. You failed at that career. You had uh, one shot Miserably, at it. miserably uh, failed. Didn't make it work, but uh, the podcasting thing is going well, and it's nice to see you on a President's Day Monday morning. Kids have no school today, but uh-huh. hey, we soldier on. We do yeah. our thing. Well, we work holidays, yes. apparently. Maybe, yeah. bon- maybe John Beeline <laughs> won't be working holidays or any day soon. We'll get to the uh, future of the Cavs coach, however tenuous it may be. Uh, Browns news with Miles Garrett, Mike Tomlin, Mason Rudolph. All kinds of other things going on. Buckeye basketball win on Saturday. I'm uh, I'm resigned to the fact that we're not going to have beautiful basketball, high-scoring basketball, fluid basketball like we had early in the year. It's just not going to happen from this point on. Well, actually, when you look at that game, Cal Young was big, right? He was. Maslin Jackson. It's, Shout out, Jackson. Whenever you have, I, I think, a bunch of role players and you don't know what role player is going to lead and there's no consistent – Scoring. I don't think Caleb Wesson is the consistent player that they thought he would be. Nope. Uh, one good sign, and we haven't seen it all year. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we did see when Luther Muhammad hit three threes, so that, that helps a little bit. Shot looks like it's coming around for Luther. So, That's good. And and credit to Chris Holtman for being patient with Luther and never you know telling him not to shoot the ball. I mean, he's going to shoot it, and he's not hesitant. And uh, I admire that in a player. And hopefully if that continues to grow and he can then become at least a threat at scoring, yeah. that's only going to help this team. But there's not a consistent guy that you can go to night in and night out knowing that you're going to get 16 and 10. Ain't going to happen. No. Him. It's just not going to happen. It's just not what it is. And so, you know, but they win. And if they're winning ugly, then they're winning ugly. And that you said it last week that this was an important stretch of games. Got to win your home games. Coming up for Ohio State, and, and they've been able to answer. So uh, hopefully they'll keep that going and carry the momentum forward. Yeah, Thursday at Iowa, and anything's possible. Coach Fran. Play crazy Fran McCaffrey. Anybody, why, why, anybody why? could get yelled I just, at. Uh, I still have not. Uh, he just, he's just a wild man, Fran McCaffrey. He, like said a very bad, bad, bad thing about an official last year. Remember that in the hallway at Value City Arena? He called him a cheating blank blank. Yeah. And they had to censure him. And he, Fran's apology was to Iowa, the Big Ten, but not to the ref. So. <laughs> he wouldn't retract calling the ref a cheater yeah. and a vile name. So, uh, yeah, well, he was the coach at Siena. When they beat Ohio State okay. in the NCAA tournament, so that's so it goes back that crime, far. Crime against humanity. I it goes. I understand my now. Forgiveness not extended yet, <laughs> even though my hopefully have grown personally. Um, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers don't look like they're inclined to uh, forgive Miles Garrett's assertion that Mason Rudolph called him 
uh, a racial slur, and uh, they're certainly not going to forget it. Uh, Mason Rudolph tweeted after Miles Garrett doubled down on his claims following his reinstatement by the NFL. Mason Rudolph tweeted, uh, 1,000% false, bold-faced lie. I did not, have not, and would not utter a racial slur. This is a disgusting and reckless attempt to assassinate my character. Uh, Mike Tomlin, following up, I support Mason Rudolph, not only because I know him, but because I was on the field immediately following the altercation with Miles Garrett and subsequently after the game. I interacted with a lot of people in the Cleveland Browns organization, players and coaches. If Mason said what Miles claimed, it would have come out during the many interactions I had with those in the Browns organization in my conversations. I had a lot of expressions of sorrow for what transpired. I received no indication that anything racial or anything of that nature in those interactions. And Mason Rudolph's agents are now threatening a defamation lawsuit against Miles Garrett. And I, I just think, you know, if that, if it, if indeed true, and Mason Rudolph did say that, we would have heard about it right away. You cannot hide that. No. There's so many people that would have come out and said, well, he was spurred on because of the racial slur that he directed at Miles Garrett. It would be reasonable to assume that the Steelers' offensive linemen, who I believe at least one of them was African-American, would have heard it. And the in mo- that situation, pouncing. you know, would not have uh, – I don't well, think would have denied that. Well, that or happened. all the defensive linemen yeah. or all the people around that or the officials or the, the microphones of the officials or the tapes or whatever uh, recording device what the NFL said they investigated. And so when you when you slap that on somebody, I don't think people understand the ramifications. If, that, if you're falsely accusing somebody of that without 100% proof, I mean, you're going to label a guy that shouldn't be labeled for something that he is not. And I can think of no, uh, nothing more horrible than to be defined as a racist. And so, I mean, if he's sticking to that story, then if I'm Mason Rudolph, then I seriously have to defend myself on that. And Mason Rudolph seems to have the evidence against him. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why Miles Garrett uh First of all, did the sit-down interview. Yeah. Second of all, I Bad don't idea. understand why um, he's saying that when he didn't say it right after the game because you think that would be the time to say it if you're going to say something like that. Well, And Miles Garrett did interview immediately after the game. He was quoted after the game about the incident, and he it wasn't like you know they shuttled him away and he wasn't available to the press. He did interviews immediately after the game and never brought it up. Well, I mean, and it's it's just it's so quick in our society to, to uh, today to automatically put a label on somebody. Well, you're you're homophobic, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a Zionist, you're a whateverist. Yeah, and I think it loses, uh, in my opinion, when you continually try to label people and constantly call somebody something, it loses its effectiveness and it has a direct opposite effect than which it should have if something like that truly happened? Well, my perspective on it um, will probably not mesh with everyone's perspective on it. I don't believe words always justify actions. Um, that word's a terrible word. I don't think, I'm not saying that no, no. swinging a helmet would justify that. No, action. I'm just saying that I, I think we have to get away in society from the idea that words justify all actions. Words are words. Words are words. My perspective on this is if a word offends you, you've empowered the other person to offend you with their words. 
They can only offend you if you allow them to offend you. You're allowing them to define you. A word like that used by anyone says far more about the person using the word than it does about the person to whom the word is directed. Whatever the word is, whatever the slur is, it, you know, it's just it says more about the person using it to as an accusation than it does of the person that it's aimed at if the person never used it. So I just I well, actually, Miles Garrett, that. this was over. This was over and now when he was be- reinstated and he has chosen to bring it back up. The Browns allowed him to bring it back up in his interview with ESPN, which they either should have known about or did know about and allowed. It's a terrible decision by Miles Garrett and by the Browns to bring this back up. Uh, it serves no useful purpose. And um, that's my view of it. Well, that's just my view. Of it. I mean, I, I like your point, and I just want to kind of continue with that because I've used that with my kids, and I used it on myself when I was younger. Again, as we get older and go through life experiences, we tend to get smarter once we think about things, at least I did, and still continue to grow. But I always tell them if they're in a fight with one of their friends or somebody says something about them at school or or whatever the case, from the time they were younger, I said, why would you give that person that much control over your life? Yeah. Why does that person get to control your feelings? Why does that con- person get to control how you feel that day or what you think about that night? Why are you giving them that much power? They don't have that right. And you're allowing them to do that. And so that's uh, just to build on your point. But, again, I think Mason Rudolph is is defiant in his defiance (laughs) of that. And and when you have your coach come out and claim he didn't hear it, nobody said anything after the game. Nobody said anything for a couple days after that. And all of a sudden it comes out that Mason Rudolph is a racist I just don't, I don't get it. I really don't. And I'm quite confident from being in uh, those situations and hearing vile words used. And I probably used some words that I probably wouldn't use or call people names that I wouldn't call people names. Nothing racist, just more uh, slang cuss words. Yeah, or threats or, or idle threats or, more or friend, any, anything gets said on the phone. Yeah, more friend stuff. Yeah. But I, I don't think I've ever used a racist word. In fact, I, I know I have not used a racist word. But I when you when you label something like that or, or something happens in the heat of the moment, uh, a lot of things are said. But I can guarantee you if there was a racial slur said, that would have been reported immediately. Even way back when I played, it would have been reported immediately. I find the timing of it implausible not just in this sense that, you know, it wasn't stated immediately afterward. I find it implausible as it relates to Mason Rudolph, who played college football. He's a quarterback, certainly not the first time he's ever been sacked in an emotional game. He played at Oklahoma State, so he played against Oklahoma. It's implausible to me that Mason Rudolph could play that much football in that many pressure environments in a fairly common situation where a quarterback is sacked and this would be the first time he ever said anything like this that anyone heard it i just i find that implausible and so again um this is not a productive conversation for miles garrett to engage in for his own 
benefit, for the Browns' benefit, for the NFL's benefit, and it's regrettable that uh, this is still a topic well, and it will remain a topic no. when the Browns and Steelers play again. And especially if Mason Rudolph um, brings it again or yeah. brings it to court. Then it gets all up there, and what's that bring to the Cleveland Browns locker room? More distractions. More distractions. As if they need more it. distractions, yeah. and it's not what they need, and they just can't get out of their own way, and I don't understand why they can't get out of their own way. I really have a hard time after paying attention, because usually, usually I just would not pay attention to this stuff, unlike most Browns fans. It's just fascinates me to watch these people step on a rake. Well, I have a theory, um, but I'm not sure the fix applies in all cases. My theory is things continue to happen in any avenue of life because when they happen, there's no consequences for them happening. And, you know, now what are you, you're not going to cut Miles Garrett. You're not going to cut Baker Mayfield. You're not going to cut the problem when you really have a problem. And this, this works both ways. We always talk about, you know, with great organizations, what's great about the Saints? The Drew Brees is their hardest worker. What's great about the Patriots? Tom Brady's their hardest worker. Peyton Manning was the hardest worker on the Colts. When your best players are the most heavily invested, set the best example, good things happen. Same in your organization, same at, you know, wherever you are. When your leaders demonstrate that they care about the final result, that's a good thing. Conversely, when your leaders, when your best players who are quote unquote above the kinds of consequences that would befall a free agent running back who's going to get cut if he fumbles, when those guys are the guys bringing distraction to the table, you've got a real problem in your organization. One exception, um, I think you can look at Antonio Brown, who had a lot of chances, but the Steelers let him go. Eventually, yeah. yeah. Eventually, and, they even and, got too much for them, yeah. I mean, but, and the Steelers basically stole from the Raiders. The Raiders didn't put up with it. Credit to the Raiders, right? Right. With Mike Mayock and John Gruden, enough's enough. They let him go. Yeah, before he ever played a game. Uh, this would be a good time to probably read our review of the day. And you can review us on iTunes, and it helps us a lot. And we read them all, whether they're complimentary or not, as proof. This review comes from Beegerson, who says, I normally rate the show a five, but Bruce holding himself up as some sort of beacon of sports talk integrity, I would be fired if I was in Cleveland now, is a little ridiculous because you would talk about salacious gossip and others aren't right now. Come on. I don't disagree that Baker Mayfield needs to grow up, but your self-aggrandizing is just a bit much. You're basically attacking others' integrity. And that's in reference to me saying that I'm astounded that Cleveland talk radio, not just sports talk radio, but talk radio, because Baker's a topic across all genres. They're not discussing his judgment and his maturity, in my opinion, what is reflected by these uh, reports of him being active on Snapchat and having liaisons with young women. Um, Yeah, I was probably a little dramatic saying I'd be fired right now, but, you know, I mean... I am a guy who has been fired for talking about something that management didn't want me to talk about because they had a contract. And I just look for right or wrong. I've always felt like my first responsibility was to the um, listener listener or basic, basically to the, the ideals of fairness and doing my job the right way. And I'm, I'm, I guess, comfortable with letting the chips fall where they may. It cost me my job at 97.1, which was okay. Um, I ended up, you know, I laughed in the wilderness in Cleveland for five years, but that was a great experience. Um, 
I left Cleveland on my own volition because we had a, a better opportunity at the zone. And the zone opportunity ended because of finances, not related to me, not related to you, just related to the station. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that was overly dramatic to say I would have been fired. I don't know. I don't know, if, I don't know what I would have done if they had said. That's not true, though. Absolutely, positively, don't talk about this. That was what I was told on the trestle thing years ago at the fan, and I chose to try to talk about it in a way that could be, uh, you know. <laughs> but you can't do that. Well, they just said, you know, be careful. Don't, you know, don't, don't blow him. Don't, don't make him look bad. We've got an eleven million dollar contract with the university, right? And I'm just like. Look, if you don't want me to go on the air today, you know, and talk about this, then don't let me go on the air today. Because I can't go on the air today and have any credibility if I go out there and talk about something other than, you know, that press conference at Ohio State where Gordon Gee said, yeah, I just hope the coach doesn't fire me. I just couldn't do that. Good conscience. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. That Hopefully that fence has been mended. I got nothing against the fan, nothing against the people to fan. I understand why they made their decision. And I think they understand why I made my decision. And... um and it's okay. But I think in this case, it's a fair topic. That's just my argument. Well, is it's a fair topic. That's the argument I make. It's just where you fall. And, and, you know, I, I believe both those radio stations, at least both the sports talk stations, are in, in negotiations for radio rights for the Cleveland Brown games. That's and so right. it's not unfathomable to, to believe that the bosses from those radio stations said, don't blow this. You can't talk about this because it, we have a lot of money on the line. Now, that's not like that we can't possibly, nobody would ever possibly jeopardize the integrity of truth-telling on a radio, especially when there's millions of dollars. I mean, we're naive to think that's the case. And our whole point wasn't to make a judgment uh, morally on Baker Mayfield and what he does and what he doesn't decide to do. I think we were coming from the angle of, I mean, the, the judgment thing and and. If if this is something that has happened, we don't know if it's happened or not. It doesn't matter if it happened or not. It keeps getting into the news. When it keeps getting into the news, then it keeps becoming a distraction. And the other thing is, you look at, as a, we were trying to look at it from Jimmy Haslam, Andrew Barry, and Kevin Stefanski's point of view. Okay, what if this leads to troubles at home? These are all the questions that you are you have to ask. You have to ask every question. As a person in power that's responsible for a billion-dollar business. Yeah, he's the face of the franchise. The Browns can't succeed unless he succeeds. And I said uh, on the blog that I wrote about this at SpielmanandHooley.com, none of us knew when Tiger crashed his SUV how deep that would go or that he'd go 10 years without a major. 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if this affects Baker Mayfield on the field because of whatever uh, tentacle this may have, a jealous boyfriend, uh, divided mind. I mean, this liaison that the girl was willing to go in, put her name and face to for a half an hour on radio yeah. happened during training camp. That is, in my opinion, a well, reflection of bad judgment. I want my quarterback you know, to have good judgment. Here's another thing that people don't think about it, and I know because I've around this business my most of my adult life, from the time I've been 22 up until now. So I've been around mm-hmm. this business for 32 years. I've talked to owners. I've talked to management. I've talked to coaches. I've talked to players. And when something, an incident like this happens, there is a 
quote-unquote war room or strategic room or teams actually hire crisis management companies to come in and say, how do we deal with this? Yeah, they do. And that's what they, don't they do. They often do it right, but and they the, do it. Well, and the other concern is, okay, I mean, the NFL is so concerned about one thing, and, and they're kind of lightening up now and they're more open about it, but it was gambling, right? Yeah. If you walked into an NFL locker room, you covered the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. back when I was yeah. in my early part of my career. You walked into an NFL locker room, and you saw one sign and one sign only. There's no drugs, no alcohol, no nothing. There was only one big giant sign about gambling. Yes. Same in Major League Baseball locker. And so, you know, so I would look at if I were Jimmy Haslam, and I'm not, again, I'm not making a moral judgment. I don't know. I said, well, what if somebody tries to blackmail that Baker is Mayfield. something you have to consider these if you're the brand. The what things, could this lead to? This, these are all things that have to be considered, or you're not doing your job right. as a general manager of a football team, or as a as a chief strategy officer, or the owner, or the head coach. You have to be concerned of where this can lead, and it's negligence upon, uh, in in my opinion. It's negligence for those people not to do their job and look under every rock and find out what is and what is not true. Yeah, and we don't know that they haven't. In fact, I'd be stunned even if the Browns have to do that. Yeah, but and just this isn't just in response to the reviewer that that is why uh, I may I I will acknowledge I may have over dramatically stated though. Well, anyway, his my point is that's why I believe it's a fair topic. And that's what I would have argued to any superior topic. that I would have had at the time. Now, you know, from a from a spiritual standpoint, now I, you know, when you're on a job and they tell you don't do it, you know, what about like my responsibility as uh, being obedient and submissive to authority? Because that is something I would try to, I'd, you know, if, if I were working in Cleveland still and you were here, I would call you. I would have said, what should I do? Because you live with me through the fan thing, and I respect your opinion on. Everything, particularly, uh, obviously, football matters, spiritual matters, family matters. You're a confidant and a guy I'm accountable to. I would call you and I would say, Chris, you know, they're telling me no. My integrity tells me and my responsibility to the listener, I think my integrity is at question. If I go on and I don't do it, how would I handle it from an obedience standpoint? What do you think I would say? I don't know. I honestly don't because, I, I, you know, I'm conflicted on it. So I'm seeking your wisdom. I would say this. You're going to make the decision. I'm going to give you information on what I think. I think that you have a responsibility to bring a paycheck into your family. If there's a way and they're telling you, don't talk about this because this can hurt the quote-unquote team. Yeah. This can hurt the quote-unquote company. Then you have to find a way, in my opinion, if not to talk about it. If I'm at Fox and Fox tells me, hey, stay away from uh, race, politics, and religion at all costs mm-hmm. in your broadcast. Even though there's something that I need to say, I have to honor what people that give me a paycheck and that trust me to do their job and represent them to do the job that they ask me to do. So that's what I would tell you. That'd be a hard one. I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad we have this format where we can't get fired. Yeah. Well. <laughs> We can fire ourselves. That's about it. <laughs> Who would want to leave this? Yeah, exactly. All this, all this glory. Uh, you might ask the same question about John Beeline of the Cavs. Who would yes. want to leave that fun party? 
Uh, they have the worst record in the East. Uh, reports today from Sam Amico of SI.com uh, and others uh, that Beeline's meeting with Kobe Altman today. He's in the first year of a five-year contract. He's 67 years old, mm-hmm. highly successful in college, great college coach, great job at Michigan. And that John Beeline and may – And West Virginia. And West Virginia, yeah. And he may be uh, just at the end of his rope. Players have been all kinds of reports this year of unrest, and the players don't respect him. And that's the challenge that you have when you go into the NBA as a coach and you, A, didn't play in the NBA, and, B, haven't grown up in the NBA culture being an assistant coach. And, you know, there are a lot of coaches in the NBA who didn't play, but they've always coached in the NBA and come up. And the NBA players are pretty provincial about that. It's like, ah, your college ways, blah, blah, blah. So Beeline, who knows basketball, there's no question, but these guys just aren't responding to him. and can't. It doesn't work. Yeah. It was a bad hire from the get-go. I thought it was a bad hire from the get-go. Uh, I don't think I'm with you. Brad Stevens, for example, from the Miami Heat, was a guy that— Oh, he's at the Celtics. Brad Stevens. Not, or the, uh, who was the kid at the Miami— Oh, uh, Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra. And then those guys—I know Eric didn't grow up— grow up he grew some of these guys have come from being uh, um you know scouts and yeah and but they've know the culture they know how to handle the culture they know how to relate to the players and they know how to get the most out of the players john beeline comes from in a background where there's one voice and one voice only and that's his voice yep and when you you don't you forfeit that when you go to the nba we know um that the most successful NBA coaches, in my opinion, know how to handle huge personalities. The classic example would have been Spolstra, right? Yep. And, and, and he had Pat Riley's backing. That's yeah. why he was able to do it. Okay. And, and so Pat Riley certainly had respect of players as a former player and a coach. Uh, what about um, the the guy uh, who was coaching the, the Cavs when the Cavs won it all? Ty Lue. Ty Lue. Ty now, Lue Ty played. played a little bit. Ty but, played. They but, respect but, Ty Lue as a player. And But yeah. what Ty Lue do? He's been a career assistant. But he deferred but a he, lot of he things. He deferred and, a lot of things, And yeah. even in the huddle, he deferred things. And you thought I was joking, and I wasn't joking when <laughs> LeBron James was... Coach of the team. You, you, I mean... He had right of first refusal. Yes, he did. Yeah. Now, but, but Ty now, Lue got in his face in the uh, finals at halftime and said, I need more from you. So Ty Lue did pick his spots. Uh, but that's the deal, is LeBron would accept it coming from him because Ty Lue played in the league. He wouldn't accept it from a David Blatt. He never accepted it, even though Paul Silas was a great NBA player. He never accepted it early in his career from right. Paul Silas or Byron Scott, who also was a great player. So it's, um, look, man, the, when, the players are making, when the players are making $40 million, um, it's really hard to... That's like- Walk that type. It's like Izzo. Like I remember when the, Tom yeah. Izzo was wouldn't work. He he couldn't last. Rick Pitino didn't last. Right. John Calipari didn't last. No, because those guys are alpha personalities, and they can't go and and sit down and be quiet. Or if somebody tells him no, we're going to do it this. Or I'm he's telling somebody, you know, work the ball inside, and he takes an unadvised three. What are you going to do? You can't take him out. If you take him out, he's not. It's your star player, they run the show. We yeah. all know that. And we've seen that this year with Kevin Love, and the Cavs are a curious mix. They've got these two young guards. Uh, can't build and then a they team got with bigs two. with Kevin Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, and they trade for another big and Andre Drummond. I mean, they're just a mess. 
So I feel bad for Beeline because he's a really good coach. If he's 68, are college programs going after him like crazy? Well, I think I think he would. Yeah, it depends on the energy and yeah, all that. I think he'd be a great hire for somebody. It's just give so me five th- good years. There's such a difference between uh, NFL coaches and college coaches, even in football and in basketball. The the difference is amazing. Remember what uh, Kerry Combs said the other day? He was at Ohio State, and he said, college and high school, I'd tell them, go do this. And yeah. they'd pretty much go do it. He said, NFL, go do this. Why? Yeah. And you have to be able to explain it. If you don't it. have a reason, you can't um, – you don't have any credibility, especially if you didn't play – and that's or not have, to say John Beeline can't explain it. I'm sure he can. I'm sure he just has. I think they doubted John Beeline because he's, I'm, who's this old college coach coming in here? Yeah, I mean, Who is he to tell me what to do? I was speaking from a football point of view yeah. before you jumped in, but anyway. <laughs> what is that with you these nowadays? I, I don't understand. I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, I just, I don't. No, I am. It's a bad habit. Horrible habit. <laughs> do you do that when you have a conversation with, your, no. with Sherry? Try not. Try not to. <laughs> yeah. That's why I save it all for you. You're the lucky recipient of my bad habit. I was just going to say Frank Gans, who never played a down in the NFL, but he would tell, I'm telling you why, and we wouldn't have to ask why. He would say, I'm going to confirm validity. I'm going to tell you why this is valid. Then I'm going to show you on film why this is valid, and this is why we're going to do it this way. And if you're not going to do it this way, we're going to go up to the head coach and we're going to sit there, and I'm going to raise my hand, and I'm saying, Coach, either fire me or cut him. So you make the decision which way you want to do it, and we'll see who lasts, and we'll see who walks out of that uh, office door. And so everybody ended up doing what he was saying, not because of the threat, because he was able to show on film mm-hmm. why we're going to do it this way. Yeah, I don't know if the Cavs don't listen to Beeline because – well, I'm sure he's very articulate in explaining it to him. I just don't think they ever bought into his vision. So I feel bad for him. Uh, wonder if he resigns if he gets the other four years on his deal or if they have to fire be him. be a settlement, probably. Probably so, yeah. Uh, email the show, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. BGW says he's from Ohio. I just listened to your podcast. Love how you incorporate sports through a spiritual lens. I enjoyed watching Spielman with the Buckeyes and Lions. I first heard Hooli on ESPN Cleveland right before you left. My favorite episode is when you turned the airwaves into a gospel presentation when Aaron Goldhammer asked about the differences between Judaism and Christianity. Anyway, I pray for your success and will be a regular listener. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. I don't remember that, but if they gave me an opening, I usually took it. <laughs> so Good for you. Yeah, tried to. Try well, to. Um, well, and I, I think it's uh, important to, you know, when we talk about these these things, um, when you can uh, turn it into a spiritual point of view like you did, what do I do spiritually if I am feel like I'm internally obligated to talk about Baker Mayfield, but the people above me say, hey, we're your boss. Don't talk about it. Then you have to make that decision. I think I would have said, okay. I get it. Um, would that would that come from your previous experience yep. of being fired yep. before for yep. saying something you weren't supposed to say? Yeah, I think, say? you know, I would have uh, in reconciled it internally by saying, you know, I submit to God. God puts people in authority over you. I, I have prayed before with difficult bosses. Help me to accept 
Help me to submit to their authority. You have them in authority over me for a reason. Help me to ex- ex- submit to their authority. See, that I'm surprised about that because of your upbringing. I mean. Well, I think probably I I didn't have a choice to submit to that authority. And I think it made me, and I don't mean like I resented my dad, but I think it was like once I got out of the house and I could spread my wings and had the, freedom, had the freedom <laughs> to say no. I was like, I got 20 years of making up for this. Yeah, I got 20 years of not being able to say no, so a lot of people are going to get no. It's it's yeah. interesting because my whole life I was brought up as a player, being the son mm-hmm. of a coach. And so through that prism of always dealing with coaches in my life, in my adult life, I always submitted to authority unless it was something completely, you know, off the rails. I think I had a more rebellious spirit than you did. I believe that. Yeah. And that's not a, I mean I just I I'm I'm not a rebellious person. Yeah. I'm I'm really not. I I'm told what to do and I had this conversation with Charles Davis, a good friend of ours, my colleague at Fox. His mm-hmm. dad was a basketball coach for 35 years, high school basketball coach. And Charles and I will say you know, we'll give our complaints to each other, right? Everybody has complaints about something, whether, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then we always end a conversation like this. You know what happens, Charles? People know that Chris and Charles will do what they're told to do because that's who they are. It doesn't matter. They will do what they're told to do by, uh, because they're coaches' sons. And that's so true. Yeah. And I I remember the first time we were having an in-depth conversation about something. And it was about uh, it was about work. And I said, Charles, it doesn't matter. This is when we worked together. It was something with three-man booth. It doesn't matter uh, if you want your own booth or I want my own booth or whatever. Whatever the conversation was, I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. And it's a, it, it doesn't matter what we say because what we're going to do is what we're going to be told to do, and we do it because that's who we are. That's how we were brought up. You just do it. Yeah, I got that conflict because I have the responsibility gene many, many times over, and if you have an expectation of me to do it, I'm going to do it. It's enhanced, you're saying, your responsibility gene? Yeah, but then you're like, well, I don't, you know, then my, my prideful rebellious spirit conflicts with that sometimes uh here's a right thing to do question uh mel tucker the new head football coach at michigan state is under heavy criticism from colorado boosters because the night before mel took the job at michigan state he attended a uh, big time donor event at denver country club where he pledged his all-in loyalty to the colorado buffaloes uh, guys gave a bunch of money. Uh, he hobnobbed. Uh, he got in a car to go home, and an hour later, uh, the deal with Michigan State was consummated, and before he went to bed that night, Mel was on a private jet to East Lansing filming a video message, Hey, Spartan Nation, can't wait to see you in East Lansing. Wow. Go green. So, uh Obviously, Michigan State was negotiating the final terms of the contract with his agent while Mel Tucker was at this Denver event, uh, and he would have known that. And so reconcile that for me. Uh, 
sometimes it's okay for people to be mad, and it's still okay for Mel Tucker to leave. That's kind of how I look at it. Like he's he's the coach at Colorado until he's not, and he wasn't the coach at Michigan State until they agreed to it. I think he has a responsibility. Again, you go back to the responsibility, Gene, and I'm putting myself in that situation. And knowing the history of the coaching business and deals that can fall apart at the very last second, that um, I am not going to risk my job at Colorado until I sign on the dotted line, until I have it in paper in hand saying that I am the new coach at Michigan State. It's an awful position to be in. He was put into that position, some by the circumstances and some by choice. Yeah, the event was scheduled, no doubt, way ahead of time. Um, so he's honoring a previous commitment. The only thing I'd know would be to say uh, cancel last minute. Would they have felt any better about it if he canceled last minute rather than went there and pledged his allegiance to the Buffaloes? No, I'm, I'm, no, because if the deal wasn't in hand, then he wouldn't do it. I remember when I was negotiating between ESPN and Fox – and Fox wanted me to come out to visit um, the studios and mm-hmm. meet some people. And I, and I told him, I can't, I can't come out there unless I sign a contract first because I'm not going to go out there, not have a contract, and have ESPN through that business where, you know, it's as, the rumors are as rampant as it yeah. is in the coaching business without a contract in hand because I don't want to uh, – Get, getting back to ESPN, and I'm, I'm, I'm out on Fox Studios talking to people. Right, because the ESPN could say, we're not going to renew right. you, and Fox might so decide then, they don't yeah, want you. so I'm going to cut my throat on both ends? No yeah. thanks. Yeah. So I, I so I understand why Mel did it. I don't have a problem with that. These guys are put into that situation. And Mel can't go – I mean, you could say, well, Mel could t- you know, say – Right at this moment, I'm a Colorado Buffalo, but my agent, I'm expecting a phone call later tonight there's, to let me know. I mean, you know, is there – there are just some no situations in life that just aren't doable. You know, because every word is then broken down into how you say it, right? There's no way that a coach can answer uh, that question honestly when he's being courted by somebody else without damaging somebody. Nobody can – there's no win-win situation in that because – We've seen it so many times now that we we always look for little buzzwords, don't we, in those situations? Well, his buzzword that if he had asked for my input, I would have said, don't tweet after interviewing with Michigan State. Yeah, I don't know why that came. Don't tweet that you're committed to Colorado. You can tweet, I'm very honored to be considered for the job at Michigan State, I'm excited about the future at Colorado. Okay, but then I wouldn't again, say committed. Then again, my point being is that people will take that and say, "Well, you're not committed, right?" Somebody's going to take offense to that. I'll give you the perfect example that just happened uh, yesterday or last week. Whenever Hillary Clinton was on Ellen DeGeneres' show. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike Bloomberg, the news broke yesterday, came out and said that he might have Hillary Clinton as a running mate. Correct. So on Ellen, Hillary Clinton says, Helen asked her, would you consider being somebody's running mate on the ticket as vice president? No. Yeah, she no, essentially said no, that. no, no. Then she said, I never say never. So no matter how many times she denies it, yeah. she finally, finally said, you never say never, but no. 
So there's, I mean, there's no way of getting around that. There's, she can't get around it. She can't deny it without every, and today driving in here, I was listening to a talk radio program and that was the whole topic of conversation, even though she denied it. What, so, if, she, what if her answer was, I can't envision the circumstances where I would do that, but I never say never. That's, that's my answer when people ask me, you know, I had a job a while back uh, before the zone and somebody met with me and asked, would you be interested in? And I said, well, that's not an offer. If you have an offer or you want to talk about an offer, I will always listen. You know, but I told the person, I don't anticipate the scenario you're painting being a plausible scenario. Yeah, on a much less pressure-packed level, I get asked the question, we yeah. never go into coaching still to this day. And I say, I love what I do in TV. I do. Um, and I will not... I never say never, but I don't think I'd ever go into pro coaching or college coaching because of time demands. But I'm not going to say I'm never going to coach. I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't coach at a high school. I'd love to coach linebackers at a at a high school level one day. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But I'm always looking for new challenges. Spielman Hooley Podcast at Gmail dot com. Coaches, if you're looking for a linebacker coach. You're going to get offers now that you said that. Jonathan Alder, do you need anything? Jonathan well, Alder, I'm out here. While I'm out here, do you Alder, need a linebacker Alder, coach? Alder Pioneers, need a linebacker coach? Here's the thing, too. Um, I get Sometimes I get emails or contacted about how to play linebacker or what I tell my kid. Give me some pointers. And my pointers, see the ball, get the ball. It's not that hard. <laughs> tackle right. a guy with the ball. Find him and go tackle him. Find him and go tackle him. Remember the uh, rough and tumble game? Not particularly. Well, maybe we only played that in the city, not out in the hinterland. Oh, I, yes, now I remember the rough and tumble game. It had a different name, which definitely could not use now. No. I've never heard it called we rough called and tumble. Well, I never heard it called rough and tumble. In the, when I, I, I moved from the Burbs when I was like nine to the uh, city, and it changed names when I moved to the city. Basically, what it was, and this is what it boils down to playing linebacker. One guy carried the ball, and everybody tried to tackle Yes, him. that game I'm familiar with. Then you throw the ball up, and whoever caught it yeah. <laughs> became the target. There it, yeah. <laughs> you, do, you, do you ever play that as a kid? Yes, of course, all the time. Could you imagine? We played that on the playgrounds all the time, and that's the only time I ever got in trouble in school because I was organizing those football games and, and that <laughs> rough-and-tumble game. And we weren't allowed to play tackle, which I thought was just un-American. And I told the teacher, "What do you?" And I used to cry because they would get mad Passionate. at us. The the recess monitors. Yeah, you remember those ladies? Well, you can't play rough and tumble touch. Well, they were. Yeah, I mean, this is no, you know. Then uh, so anyway, that's basically playing linebacker. There's the guy with the ball, run around people, be the first one to the ball, and tackle the guy. So. Yes. After that experience, like maybe no coaches would want me to be the head coach. So I don't know. It's, it's, or, it's or a bottom line business. Coach. It's a bottom line business. Uh, I do think there's a way. Look, there's no way. Here's two things. You can say the right thing as a coach if you're Mel Tucker in that situation to not paint yourself in a corner. But there's no way to say something without people knowing what you're really doing. He could say... I'm honored to be the uh, to be evaluated at Michigan State, and I'm excited about the future at Colorado. So then the follow-up is, so you're staying at Colorado? I'm here at Colorado right now. 
I'm, you know, every day I'm the coach at Colorado, I'm invested in Colorado. Well, you know right there that he, if he won't say, yeah, I'm going to, are you going to be the coach at Colorado next That's month? That's the thing. I can't say that. You know, no, I don't want to answer that question. However he answers it, it's obvious he's still in play at Michigan State. So sometimes there's just – some coaches take an attack. I am not going to talk about any jobs other than the job I have. I and can do you, that. If uh, you stick to that all the that's time. That's probably the best one. All the time stick to that. Hey, man, we heard your interview with Michigan State. I'm, I only talk about the job that I have. I'm the head coach at Colorado. And yet that you say that to every question, but but did you interview? I'm the head coach at Colorado. I only talk about the job I have. Pretty soon, then the questions go away. Who the worst exeter of coaching jobs is Bobby Petrino? Yeah, didn't didn't He's he right like, up there? Didn't he fly in the middle of the night in some? Well, let's see. He was. I think he was on staff at. Uh, he I thought was on it was staff. a Louisville or flew to Auburn or something. Yeah, or there's something with Auburn and Bobby Petrino. Yeah. Yes, and, and a then, very disloyal move toward Tommy Tuberville, who was at Auburn at the time. You remember? Then uh, he walked out on the Falcons and left them you know a note. How, yeah, he left room. them a note on their locker room yeah. chairs. Isn't that unbelievable? Bring, the next time you're at Minnesota, ask Mike Zimmer about Bobby Petrino. Not a big fan of Oh, him? Zim was the defensive coordinator at the Falcons. He was? Oh, yeah, I think so. And, man, did he rip. Are you sure about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me call up his uh, bio. But he ripped it. I'm going to ask him. I might text him. Hey, I heard you're a big fan of Bobby Petrino. I thought Bobby Petrino was a really good head coach for a while. I don't even know where he is now. Is he still at Western Kentucky? I don't know where he is. Uh, here it is. November 12, 2018. Zimmer <laughs> was the Falcons' defensive coordinator. Uh, Louisville's firing Bobby Petrino evokes Mike Zimmer's gutless. Yeah, here it is. Zimmer was the Falcons defense coordinator in 07 when Petrino resigned. Here's what Zimmer told the Inquirer in 2010 about Petrino's resignation. I'm going to read this slowly so I don't say something I shouldn't say. Uh, I was never even there. Oh, yeah, on going back to Atlanta. So he was in Atlanta. Now he's going back to Atlanta as in some capacity as an NFL head coach. But right. Zimmer says, I was never even there as far as I was concerned. I was never even there. When a coach quits in the middle of the year and runs a bunch of people's families and doesn't even have the guts to at least finish out the year, I am not a part of that. Uh, then here's what he said of Petrino. He is a coward. Put that in quotes. Wow. He, he ruined a bunch of people's lives, a bunch of people's families, kids, because he didn't have enough, I'll say guts, to stay there and finish the job. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, Falcons lost on Monday Night Football. 24 wow. hours later, uh, Petrino was in front of Arkansas Boosters doing the Woo Pig Suey. <laughs> uh, Zimmer said, that is not common. He said, no, most people in football have enough courage about them and enough fight to stick through something and not quit halfway through the year. It is cowardly. He came in and said he resigned. He would take, he would talk to all of us at a later date. Walked out of the office, and no one has ever talked to him since. Not that anybody wanted to. He's a gutless blank. Mm -hmm. Quote that. I don't give a blank. <laughs> when told that we might, might not be able to use the B word, Zimmer went one better. How about this? Gutless blank blank. You can use that. <laughs> Thus, clearing up the mystery how Mike Zimmer <laughs> feels about Bobby Petrino. There you go. Yeah. 
can tell him you got a good laugh out of seeing his thirteen-year-old quotes about Bobby. I don't Katrina. think there's a, there's it's it's a really difficult situation for all coaches. But what yeah, yeah what Bobby did though, in the middle Bobby of the year, has had a. I mean, twenty four hours later, later, doing the pig woo suey or woo pig suey. Yeah, and then his exit at Arkansas. You 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 get what you hire. I mean, you do. You get what you hire, and he leaves Arkansas with riding on a motorcycle with a woman he was having an affair with on his mm-hmm. staff, and claiming that it was a, you know. Recruiting claim, trip? Claiming that he was out on a Sunday joyride alone when he wasn't. And I'll never forget the picture of him at the podium with a neck brace on. That was just <laughs> look, didn't look good. But the guy can call, call plays, so yeah, somebody see, will always hire him. Plays. You're right. Yes, right. indeed. All right. Uh, email the show, Podcast gmail.com. Review us on iTunes. Watch us on YouTube. And follow us on Instagram. Uh, faith portion of the podcast at the end of the show every day uh, that we do the show Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, and I was thinking of you this morning, uh, sir. I was thinking about um, a friend of mine who's uh, going through a very difficult time and uh, been listening to his uh, listening to him pour out his heart. And uh, I just thought about um, one of the things that he said to me was that everyone asks about his wife because his wife is going through some health things. And he said, um, I feel bad saying this, but once in a while, I would like to know that people care about how I'm doing too. Mm -hmm. And I thought about how um, great it was that you and Steph started Stephanie's Champions to honor the caregivers because certainly we care for the people who are sick and hurting. Sure. But the people who support them also need our prayers and our appreciation and our acknowledgement because that strengthens them to stay in the fight. So if you know someone who is caring for someone, provide a word of encouragement just by saying, hey, I'm obviously concerned about the person, husband, wife, son, daughter that you're caring for and we're praying for them, but I want you to know that I'm inspired by how you are caring for them and that I'm praying for strength yeah. for you because it it uh, takes a lot to do that. So that was uh, that made me reflect on you. So I get that question asked a lot, right? And people feel comfortable saying that. They almost feel guilty saying it to somebody else, but they feel like they can tell me because they know how I understand. And I understand... Uh, your friend's feeling of helplessness, right? Mm-hmm. And I just know in my situation, the most frustrating thing was for me was that I couldn't outfight something. I couldn't outwork it. I couldn't outlift it. I couldn't outrun it. I couldn't mentally t- be more mentally tough than what we were fighting. And that's very frustrating because as a husband, I, I, my opinion, I don't know if this is true or not true, but I feel it's true to me, is that as a husband and the father, there's an, an instinct in us to protect and to preserve and to provide. I call that um, it's th- the, whatever three Ps. People yeah. want to have different three Ps. That's my three Ps as One of the rules is a husband and a father, protect, preserve, provide. And I wasn't able to do that. In fact, um, 
we were in church Saturday night, and I saw these two little girls, and it's middle of February on Saturday night, it's cold, and I saw these two little girls uh, with their dad, and they were, uh, it just brought back a flood of memories when, when my, when I was doing this alone, and how woefully inadequate I was compared to this dad because this dad had the girls in dresses and you know they sat there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they were running around a little bit having fun but it was a joy of youth you know and it brought back memories and I started laughing then I I I thought and I told Carrie this on the way out but I started laughing because I was thinking back to when my two youngest were it was those two and me a lot and like how if I would take them to church one would have on the <laughs> the baseball hat the basketball shorts pulled up and uh baseball hat on backwards by the way in a t-shirt and the other one would be in a pink uh, puffy dress and hair all disheveled but they thought it was good and I the only hair thing I knew how to do was the horn remember the horn on top of the head yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. people called it different things but I, I just had this this flood of good memories. Then, um, I also remember that at night a lot of times, and Maddie was fifteen, and Noah was thirteen, and Mace was like eight, or and Audrey was like five or six. And I remember saying how woefully inadequate I was, you know. So you beat yourself up all the time. Then if you when you can't help or help heal and you can, you, you feel like you're useless, but then you think back, okay, well, the only thing I can control is my vows. And I don't, is he married to this young lady? Yes, yes, yes. And I would say this, that what you're doing and your characters often defined about what you do when nobody's looking, I would tell him that, look, you know, when you said your wedding vows in front of your family and friends and God, and I'm assuming you said in sickness and in health, what you're able to do is you're able to live that. And what a great honor that is to be called to that challenge and to respond to that challenge without wavering. And even though you do feel lonely or you feel helpless, what you are doing is setting an example for, do they have kids? Yes. For your children. You're setting an example for your friends that when you made a vow to your wife on your wedding day in front of God in a church, that you meant it. And you have the great responsibility and honor uh, to live that vow. And that's pretty cool. That's what I would tell them. Yeah, if I, were I you. try to encourage him that it's a daily battle. And um, I have such great admiration for him doing that. And, you know, you mentioned the ages of your children when Stephanie passed away. And those are very close to the ages of my children now. And I um, can, can hearken back to that time. And uh, it's hard. it gives me a new appreciation for what a difficult time that was and how much uh, admiration I have for your well, family uh, persevering through that. It's interesting, Mike wife said to me about this we were having a conversation and we were talking and she said you know i look at your kids 
and sure they when I first met you and in like you know they're and just girls because guys don't see things you know they're right. just you you just don't know you just didn't know you know even though Steph left me uh, directions <laughs> on a lot of things I just it didn't think to cross my mind right and the thing that um I'm humbled by the most and I thought this was really God really working into my life is that my kids during that very difficult time uh never ran away from God they ran to God and I think that was my main purpose not necessarily what they wore and I even had a teacher in one of the schools call me and tell me that, hey, you need to, Macy needs to start dressing a little bit better like a young lady. And I took offense to that. And, I was, and so then, of course, I rebelled. And, hey, Mace, where's your baseball hat? Mm-hmm. And why is it on frontwards? Put it on backwards. <laughs> you know, so, but my, my point was that without knowing it but with also being a little bit aware my biggest fear for my kids at that time was i never wanted them to blame god for the loss of their mother i wanted them to understand that uh that eternal perspective at a young age and to this day uh, i believe that they've made a choice about their own faith and making their faith their own and they have chosen to be christ followers all four of them and so that would be my greatest accomplishment, even though I was inadequate in so many ways. I think my greatest accomplishment was to, uh, by example, be a man of faith, hoping that they would follow my lead to be young men and women of faith and continue to grow in that to this day. Yeah, amen to that. That's, so, uh, that's actually, my greatest joy as well as a parent. Uh, here's a verse that would, oh, uh, I think, okay. apply to that. Is, uh, it's um, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. So you can comfort others with the comfort that you have received. Um and that is uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 1. So I was thinking of you today. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And actually, this applies to you. Then I thought, okay, well, it applies to me. Just out of Proverbs about the fool? (laughs) (laughs) Lots of verses in there you can hit. (laughs) No, it it applies to everybody, but... But I, it was funny because, and the author is unknown. I wish I could take credit for writing this. I can't, but the author is unknown. It was called No, K-N-O-W. I know he's the beginning, so why do I worry about the end? Wow, that's me, although I'm getting better at that. I know he is the creator, so why do I wonder who will destroy? I know he has forgiven me, so why can't I forgive myself? That definitely applies to me. If you go back to the last podcast, I talked about the confession I had where the priest told me, hey, you can't give away something you don't have, buddy. I know he's a healer, so why do I speak of sickness? 
that applied to me because of my struggles after Stephanie passed away. I had fear of taking my children to the doctor because I was afraid I was going to have bad news. I avoided getting a physical because I was afraid that uh, I was going to have cancer. So those are some of the fears that I've lived with and have been able to overcome uh, through time and heal and prayer and, and talking to people. And, and you know, I really open it up here on this podcast, but I only do that because I want you to know that your fears are my fears or Bruce's fears. Mm-hmm. It's all our fears. Mm-hmm. I know he can do all things, so why do I say I can't? I know he will protect me, so why do I fear? I know he will supply all my needs, so why can't I wait? That's a patient's problem. That's a patient's I'm problem. Living that, I'm <laughs> living that one. <laughs> so, yeah. I am. I know you are. That's yeah. why I'm saying I'm reading this, yeah. and I, I do that too. I'm not a patient person. I know he is my strength and my salvation, so why do I feel weak? Yes, that's me at times, certainly is. I know that everything and everyone has a season. So when, so why when someone's season is over do I weep instead of rejoice? I know he's the right way, so why do I go the wrong way? I don't have that answer, but that's me. I know he is a light, so why do I choose to walk in the darkness? Um, I think I've improved and I'm certainly more in the light than in the darkness than in years past. I know that whatever I ask of God, God will give me. So why am I afraid to ask? I know tomorrow is not promised. So why do I put off for tomorrow what I can do today? I know that the truth shall make me free. So why do I continue to lie? I know he gives us revelation, knowledge, and understanding, so why do I lean on my own understanding? I know I should live in the Spirit as well as walk in the Spirit, so why do I choose to live in the Spirit but walk in the flesh? Interesting. I know that when praises go up, blessings come down, so why do I refuse to praise him? That's that's pretty dead on on me. Uh, I know I am saved, so why do I refuse the word he has given me that I'm okay on that one. I know he has a plan for me. So why am I rushing it? Because I am eager to do his will when it is his time and not my time. I'm going to read that again. I know he has a plan for me. So why am I rushing it? Because I am eager to do his will when it is his time not mine time. So I thought that was interesting. It's a good and, one for me right now. And well, explain that to me because I'm having a hard time understanding. I know he has a plan for me, so why am I rushing it? Because I'm eager to do his will when it is his time, not my time. Yeah, I'm on the cusp of uh, I have a plan for, uh, as I've told the people here, um, taking some of the things and men that I've met in the past year have enlightened me on how to merge my faith with uh leadership and my sports background and to make what I think can be an impact with character development and young people. I had a great meeting uh, with a friend I met through FCA and through this podcast named Andy, really cool guy. Um, Andy was very helpful to me. Looking forward to adding Andy to our team to move forward. So I know, I feel strongly God's working in my life. He's working on something and I'm trying to follow the uh, promptings and proceed faithfully, but not get in front. 
I had a friend one time told me, he goes, do you believe God goes before you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I don't believe he goes before you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, it's impossible to go before you. You're always on the front line fighting your own battles. He says, he can't get in front of you. I'm like, that's me, brother. Convicted. He said, he can't get in front of you. That like, guy it's not possible. Well, you're that used to be you. I, I'm trying that for that not to be me. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. doing a good job. Well, thank you. I actually it means a lot to, for coming from you. That means I, I watched a, a movie, um, doing the Peloton for thirty miles. Tell the people how you're doing on the I six thousand miles. I will, but I want I watched the movie Overcomer about the cross country runner. Okay, I one country one one kid on the cross country team. And I've she ends up winning a sounds like- state championship. But I, I thought I thought of you because of your state championship that you single-handedly won <laughs> for West Liberty that's Salem so High School. That's so <laughs> well, that's true. not according to you. I <laughs> if you didn't That's also not true. <laughs> if you're you're embellishing <laughs> as you're often prone you're, to do. Are you not in the Hall of Fame for cross country? As a as a <laughs> middling member of the team. <laughs> What place did you have to get for you guys to win the state championship? I mean, you had a scouting report, right? I was fifth man my junior year, and I was fifth man my senior year. You didn't improve at all? I was the second best guy on the team my senior year, and I had a bad state meet. Would you finish? 18th. Would you do walk half of it? I cramped up. Why didn't you hydrate before the race? I thought I could win it. Because I was third in the district, and I thought I'm peaking. I could win this. <laughs> and I was always a kicker. Once again, I was a humble. I was a kicker. I'm sure you were. And in that at the particular end, mean, day, right? yeah. And in that particular day, I went out in front, and I got to mile and a half, and I was dead. Why'd you do that? I was dumb. Because I was a, full of adrenaline, <laughs> vim, and vigor. And it was 660 yards into the race. Bruce is going to do it your you way. Used to start at the driving range at the Scarlet Course, and you'd run all the way down, like about a 600 yard, and then you'd make a turn. And I got to the 600 yard turn, and I looked, and like six of the top ten guys were on our team, and I thought, well, we got this one. I could win this thing. Were you feeling good? I was feeling great. I even said to my buddy, I said, we got this one. We knew we were good. We were the defending champs, and we wasted everybody. But I got a little too haughty. Got the haughty spirit goes before a fall, brother. <laughs> or in this case, a side when did it wait, wait. going up the hill by the par three. I want to know. I yeah. mean, I, I so when you play that course, do you relive or when you play golf? I don't. I don't. Okay. And now I will. I, thank <laughs> you for that. I never connected the two. So now, now I will. Now it'll forever oh, argue. Yeah, this is where I get. This is where that. No, wait, I got to understand. This, this is where that pony jumped on my back. No, I got to understand this. So, you're. I mean, you're rolling, right? You're feeling I was good. Rolling six sixty. So, went across the bridge, and I turned. I'm like, whoa. What are winning this? Okay, then when when did I was it... going up the hill, and I was still like about sixth or seventh, and I thought I'm in good shape. I got the same kick I had in the district. I'm in good shape here. Yeah. And then I was just like. Wow, I got the bad side stitch. And I did my sit-ups and all that stuff. Just so happened. What and so you knew like so then you had to go I just that. kept get I kept getting passed on were the final straight. How ticked were you that you were getting passed? Well, I was disappointed, but we won I was captain and we won the state, so no time to be disappointed. You weren't disappointed in I was disappointed in your own performance. I would have been extremely disappointed if I hadn't made all state. Top twenty was all state. Okay. So I would have been extremely disappointed. Put a, put the selfish needs ahead of the teams in that situation. 
<laughs> Thankfully, I was allowed to salvage a little bit of dignity <laughs> of my all-state flag. I, I, that makes me feel I mean, I don't understand yeah, how I shouldn't you shouldn't be in. A, that's why I'm not in. A, but you shouldn't have. Pre- that should have been prevented. Why didn't you prepare properly? I did prepare properly. You didn't hydrate. I, I no. I no. I I don't know what happened. I went out too fast. That's just. But always, why would you do that if you something's working for you? Because I got caught up in the moment. I didn't pay attention to my race strategy. I mean, so I didn't feel like I was running that fast to be leading after 660 yards. I just thought, I'm just going at a. Com- I was. It was a comfortable pace at that point. What was your best time? Uh, for two mile, my best time was nine something. Nine, Seriously, nine forty something. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Well, I, is that what what a, the race distance? I thought it was. Three, it was two five. miles my junior year and two and a half my senior year. Uh huh. And then they now it's I think three. Yeah. Ten thousand meters now. Okay. Yeah, so. These last 10 minutes have been of interest to no one but Chris and I. <laughs> no, this is glory in- days. <laughs> That's trademarked, or I'd be playing it. No, I, I mean, you, I, I, I didn't, I did not know that. I mean, that's very interesting. Um, now, aren't you feeling better about my? You got a little bit of failure you can attach no, to that not hall failure, of fame. You're all state. By the way, uh, by I'm the just, way, I'm this gentleman, this gentleman came to my hall of fame. That's our right. te- our team's Hall of Fame induction. This was so kind of you. <laughs> At a very difficult time in your life, you came, and that uh-huh. was so nice of you. I will never forget that. And you made a very generous donation to my high school's athletic department. You are you are held in extremely high esteem. In my well, hometown. it's the least I can do since I tried to make a phone call to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I let you down at your. T- amazing here we go we're getting into all my failures now. <laughs> i let you down at your no, biggest you moment didn't of let need. Me down. no i did no you i didn't. did i let myself down i can tell you that i only say that because i i'm telling you by by joking about it it's not a big deal but when i die please <laughs> when i die i'm can asking I give you, you right now, no please tell that story at my funeral please tell that story <laughs> that i let you down in your moment of need, please. Bruce was a great friend, but look at what a grace-filled individual I am to do a podcast in his basement after he did this to me. It, it come to his cross-country Hall of Fame high school banquet. <laughs> Cost me this much money. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, and pay for it. Like I'm paying to come yeah, out here. That's exactly, amazing. Exactly. Every, the more I know you, the, the more, more money I lose. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so riches of knowing me. All right. Oh. I just want to encourage people yeah. that I know in New Year's there's a time of New Year's resolutions and one very um popular resolution is that people are working to get back in shape. So yep. I encourage you to, you know, work on getting in spiritual shape. Uh, hopefully we uh, inspire you to do that but also physical shape and i set a goal of doing so those that maybe don't know this i'm gonna say it i set a goal of doing six thousand miles of uh cycling stairmaster elliptical walking and a light jog when my hip doesn't feel like it's going to fall out of my body mm-hmm. uh yesterday i went to uh, surpassed 1,000 miles in a month and a half or 48 days. I went to 1,006 miles, 1,006.2 miles. So I'm encouraging you that even if you took some time off 
or you're starting to get away from your exercise routine, to get back on it, you can do this. And and to get healthy, to get healthy most importantly spiritually, get healthy physically, and get healthy mentally. And uh, you got our support, and if you're doing it and you, you have some results or you're share what you're doing workout-wise on this, we'll read it over the air because it's exciting to me, and I think it's awesome. So I keep encouraging you to doing it. If you stop, get back on it, you can do this. you got a year. We all can right. do it. I'm going to join you. I'm going to lose 10 by April 1st. You can't lose. You're I already gain, skinny. I gain, I gain about 10 back, so I'm going to lose did? those 10, yeah. Okay. I'm going to get back to 170. All right. All right. That's it for today. Happy President's Day. Um, we will talk to you again on Wednesday here on the Spielman Hooley Podcast. Email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>